1: going to be in Luke chapter 20 in the New Testament, and the last time the message was titled, The Greater Priority. So many of you have probably heard the teaching about, you know, the religious leaders give Jesus a coin and said, should we pay taxes or not? And for 2,000 years, I've heard a lot of teachings, even in Christianity, the focus is about taxes, right? We're still having that discussion today. But what Jesus was saying to them was, give to God what's God's. And sometimes we can get caught up in what I call abstract theology, all the what ifs and the conundrums and what did he mean and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And what we forget is that there's an application for our lives. So the greater priority is giving to God what God deserves, right? And we all know, we pray. Um, if we've been a Christian for some time, we ask what the Lord will have us do. Uh, and it's really a neat thing. Today, the message is titled, Is There Life After Death? You know I just out of curiosity, I went online and there 's so many books written on life after death. most of them are speculative if they 're based on the scripture we 're going to go through the Old Testament and the new testament we 're going to see what does god 's word say about life after death um, if you 're new to the Bible or new to the faith, this should really encourage you this morning because there is life after death and uh, Jesus came down and probably spoke largely about the subject because he wants everybody to go to be You know, in the afterlife with the Father and Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the angels, a lot of really neat stuff. So we're going to look at this in three parts. Going to jump in in verse 27. It says, then some of the Sadducees who deny that there is a resurrection came to him, Jesus, and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies having a wife and he dies without children, his brother... Right? the next oldest, should take his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died without children. And the second took her as wife, the same woman, she's a widow now, and he died childless. Then the third took her, and in like manner, the seven also, and they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as wife. Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age, that future age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection." But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. So one out of three is, there's a lot to this, there's a lot to unpack, a lot of cultural stuff, right? We're talking 2,000 years ago. So one is the Sadducees question the resurrection. Okay. This is ostensibly told as if it's something real, but I believe it was disingenuous. I believe it was a hypothetical. But after reading the passage, I just need to get this off my chest. Some of you might know where I'm going. If you're the seventh brother, and all six of your brothers died after marrying her, I'd be like, I'm out of here. I'm, going, I'm not doing this. You know? Sleep with one eye open, get a food taster, you know? And the reason I bring this up is because because they were being serious. Remember, this was the religious echelon. They were trying to take Jesus off of His perch as the Messiah, right? Uh, So they were making fun of the resurrection and thinking they're sort of going to paint him into a corner. And today, the, some of the hypotheticals are just as ridiculous. You know, I'm patient with somebody who is really seeking the things of God. But when you ask me a question, can God uh, create a rock so big and so heavy that he can't lift it? Let's talk about real things. You know, let's talk, I mean, it's just these paradoxes, right? So let's go to who the Sadducees were. They were largely the class of priests, They were aristocrats. In their theology, they were more liberal in their outlook. They denied much of the supernatural. They didn't believe in angels, demons, miracles, the resurrection, nor the prophetic books. They only accepted the first five books of Moses, but not the parts that disagreed with their theology. And see, that's a problem because we see that today. And I would call it, you know, in political districts, they do what's called gerrymandering, right? To try to get an edge on the other party. But you can see this in religion too sometimes, and sometimes uh, certain denominations, you know, they don't want to face the, the totality of God's Word, so they, they kind of skip around like a board game. Well, we believe this part of the Bible, but we don't believe that part of the Bible. And if you look at so many faiths that are uh, you know, on the planet, so many denominations, they all use, most of them use the Bible as their foundation. But again, it's sort of a smorgasbord. You know, I'm going to go, I'll I'll eat the lobster tail, but I don't want anything else in the menu. Somebody comes in, well, I'll have the vegetables, but nothing. That's great at the smorgasbord table, but it isn't acceptable when it comes to God's Word. You accept all of His Word, right? So that's the first thing. You also see that this is the blind leading the blind. I'd say the most disturbing thing in all this is this. These guys were priests. They were supposed to be leading the people. And helping to understand who God is, but they weren't. And again, we see that today, those that go through the motions in religion, but it, it becomes a business. It becomes a power structure, but it doesn't become how to, you know, show people who, who their God is. You know, I love meeting new people at this church. I love meeting people who are seeking. I'm, I get very excited because I just I want them to to come face to face with their creator through the word and have that relationship with them. I'll tell you an interesting story. My uh, mother has a childhood friend, I won't say her name. Uh, My mother's up there in years now and they're still friends. They've been friends for decades. And she, she grew up Jewish, but then through all the educational pursuits, became an atheist. Through all my educational pursuits, I became a believer in God. We went in different paths. And she told us not that long ago, she goes, I'm a cantor in my synagogue. And I scratched my head. I'm like, how are you a cantor? Which is an honorable position. You're an atheist. Do they know that? You know, I'm not going to make a phone call, but she's like, well, it's a cultural thing. I'm like, listen, if you call yourself Christian or Jewish, that and believing in God are inextricably linked. It's very hard to say I'm this, right? But I don't believe in God. It doesn't make any sense. So... Yeah, you see that going on today, right? And, and even as a boy, as a young person, I might have asked a clergy member here and there about, you know, childhood questions about God. And sometimes I was just blown off. It, I don't have time for you. You're a little kid, right? And that's sad. It's sad, you know? So the Sadducees, what are we talking about here? Right? What are they describing? This is considered what's called liverite marriage, which you find in Deuteronomy 25, and basically, if it was so that no, you know, all right. So basically, what happens is is the the two two people get married, and if he dies, right, the husband and the father dies, or the husband. Scratch that. He doesn't have kids yet. He dies maybe untimely uh, to carry on his name. And it's choice. The second oldest brother, if he's unmarried, can choose to take the widow as his wife and raise up children. And one of those children, probably the first male, would be named after the deceased brother. So his name is continued, continually carried on. So that's what we're talking about here. Um, and but basically, they had turned it into something. You know, let's throw seven uh, husbands at Jesus and. You know, almost you can see them elbowing each other and say, I think we got him on this one. This is so ridiculous that there's no way he's going to get himself out of it. And again, instead of coming to the truth, it was all about, you know, they were losing followers to Jesus. Well, he is God, the son, he is the Messiah. Uh, so it was it was bothersome to them. And you see this whole array a few days before his crucifixion of these religious leaders afraid of losing their power base, just peppering Jesus with these questions. And you know what? 2,000 years later, we see similar things. That's why I describe the Sadducees to you, because there are people like the Sadducees today, and the Pharisees, and, and the rest of them. Second part, two out of three is, I call this Jesus's forever home and the resurrection, verses 34 through 38, which we read. I do like, I, I'm a little handy, actually, um, whatever, I... I put my barbecue grill too close to my house and I melted some of my vinyl siding. TMI, Pastor Joe, that was really dumb. Um, Didn't burn the house down. I went on YouTube and I watched how... I don't even know why I'm having this discussion... I I, t- I went on YouTube and like I never replaced vinyl siding. The guy was really good, and I, I bought the tool, and I actually did it yesterday with my son. I'm very proud of myself. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I do I do a little concrete, a little like listen. It's all about saving money, but um, the point is that I watch a lot of these fixer up shows, and I did I was in construction when I was younger, but uh, they have this this term. Starter home, right? You're not going to stay there. It's a starter home, or your forever home. (laughs) So the kind of cool thing about the afterlife is that's our forever home, right? Um, I really like the house I live in, but I'm willing. I'm more than happy to see what God has planned for me. As a matter of fact, in John 14, Jesus tells his followers, he he, he's telling them he's got to be crucified, but he's going to rise again. He's going to ascend into heaven, and he goes, I'm not going to leave you orphans. You know, I'm going to come back um and he also said that when i go uh, my father's house has many mansions i go to prepare a place for you so our forever home as much as you like where you are now you like it you don't like it if you don't like it there's good news because your forever home in in the heavenlies is going to be a lot nicer so jesus right he comes back and he tells us about his forever home and our forever home that he's preparing for us probably right now it's probably done but this is the home the Sadducees couldn't understand. Now, few proofs in here. I mean, listen, he raised the dead. One person was dead, I uh, believe, four days. De- listen, I saw a lot of decomposition in my life. Um, really hard to bring something like that back. Only God could do that. So Jesus' miracles really put that uh, seal of authenticity on you know, even his teachings and stuff, it proved that he was God the Son. In Luke 10, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and he says this I quote, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Wow, where'd that come from? You know? So Jesus is like, listen, and it's true. Before Jesus took the form of a human, he was, you know, with the Father and, and the Holy Spirit. So he it recounts to them, I saw Satan fall. I saw him get cast out of heaven. I was there. Um, there's no other religion, no other teaching where somebody is telling us, oh, I came from there, and this is what it's like. This is, he's the only person who's done that. And even if somebody does claim that, where's your proof of it, right? In Matthew 22:29, I just want to add this one verse here because it really shows you why everybody kind of lined up to crucify him. Matthew Matthew gives a little bit more filler, a little bit more nuance, a little background. In verse 29, this is the same incident. It says Jesus answered the Sadducees and said to them, now remember he's talking to religious leaders who are very prideful, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. So you wonder why they went to crucify Him. Um, he's basically telling them, you are you don't know what you're talking about. Let me tell you what the afterlife looks like. So we're going to go through a few things that a lot of people have questions about. We're going to use the Old Testament. We're going to use the New Testament. And we're going to come to this idea of what the afterlife looks like. So, we'll do this in letters. A. The first thing is, I mean, speaking about the the Sadducees is... And again, for us as well, that we not make assumptions about the afterlife based on what happens here. And that was their error. Well, the guy, you know, died and his six other brothers and she was married to all of them. How ridiculous is this in the afterlife? Jesus tells them things that they didn't know. So they're making assumptions based on here, what happens there. And a lot of people make that mistake. There's actually a book that um, was written by, I think he's a pastor, Randy Alcorn. The book is called Heaven. It's a thick book. And he goes through what the afterlife looks like, or to his best understanding, based on all the Old Testament and the New Testament scriptures. It's a great book. I, I definitely recommend it. Um, Jesus also told us a few things. That there's no marriage in the afterlife. Well, what does that look like? Uh, it says, he also says that we can't die anymore right? Uh, I believe it's called annihilationism. It's the belief that when your heart stops beating and your brainwaves cease and you're clinically, technically dead, that you cease to have a consciousness. That's a problem for people who are hoping for that, expecting that for that. And that's why I do what I do to educate people to look a little bit deeper into this. God gave us a consciousness. That's a very unique thing that close to eight people, 8 billion people on the planet have their own separate consciousness. Think of That's a miracle in itself, right? So, can't die anymore um, in the afterlife. And will be like angels or equal to the angels. What does that mean? I'm going to go through three words in terminology, and then I'm going to jump deeper into this. So, the first one is three terms. One is heaven. Now, a lot of times, and I make the mistake too, because it's just part of the vernacular. Uh, it's sort of the uh, etymology of words, if you will. How words change based on how the culture changes. Sometimes I end up correcting myself and correct. It's, it's a tough thing. You know your the- I know my theology, so I'm trying to express something, but I have to do it in terms that people understand based on what the culture says about spiritual things. So now that I've confused everyone, let me start with the first term. The first term is heaven heaven right revelation 4 revelation 5 the apostle john sees the throne room of god he sees the third heaven that the apostle paul speaks about this is god's abode it could be right in front of us it's a different dimension we can't see it from here okay so that's that's his his place his his throne room it's a place that he chooses to be the sea of glass the, you know all the different creatures and stuff uh, so that's the third heaven that's his abode now there's a term called christoplatonism which uh, was coined about the middle ages and you know all these renaissance paintings about you know people dying and you hear this in funerals they get their wings and they become like little children with ringlet hair and they float from cloud to cloud that's not reflective in scripture at all okay so heaven let's move to the next term the next term is the afterlife The afterlife is different based on whether we perish now or we perish later. The Bible tells us that if we are in Christ and we die now, we go right to be with the Lord, and we leave our body behind, our physical body. The afterlife later, when the resurrection of the bodies takes place, is the bodies are rejoined to the the consciousness and the spirit, and these bodies now will be able to span eternity. There's no age anymore. So right now, we're subject to one atmosphere of pressure. Let's talk about physics and science. Uh, A gravity of 9.8 meters per second squared. Roughly an atmosphere. (sighs) I just breathe in about 18% of oxygen, some nitrogen, some inert gases. That's what this body does. It's pretty awesome. But it cannot withstand eternity. They have to be resurrected. They have to be changed. So the afterlife, right? We see this this uh, this situation taking place where we're uh, regeared, retooled to be able to negotiate that. The third term is the resurrection age. Jesus said, "Being worthy to receive or to yeah, retain or to attain that age, the resurrection age, and that is after all of our bodies are resurrected and they're perfected, which is good news. If you have body images." you're not going to. (laughs) If you have any complaint about your body, I'm starting to not hear, not see, forget things. It's not going to be an issue. I'm supposed to go for another foot surgery. I'm delaying it, hoping the Lord comes for us and I don't have to deal with that. I got, you know, I said, if the Lord comes to take me, you know, the rapture, there's going to be screws and pins and things laying on the ground because it's not part of what what he created for me right people going to have all kinds of stuff laying on the ground okay let's continue b sometimes i'm a little bit too expressive b relationships in the afterlife are different than here otherwise it would be a weird scenario and they would have had jesus trapped oh how do i answer this he's not going to say that he was there he knows what it's like he goes you don't know the scripture you don't know the power of god guys you're supposed to be representing God and you're, you don't fully understand the things in the afterlife. Probably part of the problem was their rejection of so much of the Bible. How can you do that and claim that you're a person of faith? You can't just pick your favorite parts of the Scripture and ignore everything else. So, there are no polygamous relationships in the afterlife. Yeah, that's weird. In some, I'm not going to say all, in some elements of Mormonism and Islam, well, guess who gets to have the polygamous relationships? It's not the woman. It's the guy. That's a problem, okay? There are no polygamous relationships in the afterlife. That would be weird. You know, you got seven wives, and you take one aside and say, you're my favorite, but don't tell the other ones. You know, (laughs) come on. You know, it's this silly idea of what we see here and what some people would like here well that's the way it's going to be in the afterlife no it's not there's equality in heaven okay we're all on equal footing um, and that's a good thing see there's also the assumption in this scenario that every married couple both get to heaven what if one of the spouse anybody ever think of this guys sadducees what if one of the spouses is ungodly Maybe they don't want anything to do with God and they don't make it. So does that person, the widow, uh, is, is she lonely for all eternity because her husband didn't make it? Remember, where? God looks at us as individuals and that's beautiful too. He's, we're, we're important as individuals. He looks at us as individuals. Um, doesn't matter how much money we have, how many degrees we have. Do You believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Do you trust what He did years ago on that cross, expiation, you know, atonement, all the big words for your sins. So let's go back to this situation. There's no loneliness in heaven. There's no, oh, I'm going to be single my whole eternity. No, you're not. You're going to be with God. You're going to be with other believers. Even my wife and I have this discussion. We've been married almost 30 years. And it's like, I guess we'll be sort of like brothers and sisters, you know. will I'm going to get to the good part about knowing each other, right? Um, will I recognize that person? Well, let me get to that part. But it's going to be different. How different? Don't know. But we're all going to be equal. There's going to be equality. Not like what we see here. So that's a really, really good thing. Um, Again, there's no loneliness. D, we are all equal as children of God in the afterlife. We're also not subject to our parents. right? There's going to be no patriarchy. In some cultures, there's a matriarchy. (laughs) So... None of that stuff. There's no birth. There's no death, right? So that's not going to be an issue. It's very interesting. And again, based, based on what the Scripture says, E, the connection with God will far surpass any relationship here. People do this. If there's not fill-in-the-blank in heaven, I don't want to go. That's a very myopic view of eternity. And the power of God. You know, you think it's... If you, you know, if you're close to the Lord or, you you know, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you think that you, when you die and get to heaven, there's going to be anything bad there? I'm going to read a scripture that's going to tell you otherwise. So um, I've heard people say, well, if there's no whiskey in heaven, I don't want to go. Come on, dude, you've got to do a little bit better than that. You know what I'm saying? Um, Trust me. So here's, here's the, I love this one. Will we know each other in the afterlife? Drum roll, please. Yes, we will. <laughs> we see this in Scripture. And we will know each other in a good way. All the sin sloughs off. It's like chaff. You know, even the, I don't know, you're a solid believer in Christ, you know somebody who is, they hurt you, whatever, didn't pay you back money, whatever, and you guys are kind of at odds with each other. When you get to the the kingdom, there's no factions. There's no, I'm mad at you, and it all just goes away. Um, But I'll I'll prove to you that we will know each other. In Luke 16, there were three people that ended up in the afterlife. Well, first it was, well, the rich man, and it was Lazarus. So they end up in the afterlife. And you know who they meet? Abraham. And Abraham was there for a long time, because he preceded them by... uh, several centuries or more. So the three of them are in the afterlife, they're actually having a conversation. They recognize each other, they know each other. Unfortunately for the particular rich man, uh, the way he lived his life, he didn't make it to the good place, but all three of those people knew each other. You look at Revelation 11, the two witnesses that come back, they know each other, right? Some say it's Elijah and Moses, but it's, doesn't tell us specifically the transfiguration, right? They, we, we, right? Moses, Elijah, Jesus, they're, they're all there. Peter, they all know each other. Um, so we will know each other. And there's a lot of scriptures that prove that. And that's a good thing. God doesn't mind erase us. He only takes away the things that are painful. And again, I think this is encouraging because people struggle with PTSD. They struggle with depression. They struggle with uh, just really, really tough things in this world. It's not going to exist anymore, which is going to be great. Continuing on, F. So I believe, and so this is where I, I move from, if I'm going to tell you something is definite, I'm going to tell you it's based on the Scripture. Then there are going to be times I give you my conjecture. So let me give a little conjecture here. Take it or leave it. My conjecture is not on par with sacred Scripture. So, I believe we have this, it's a little bit of a paradox, a median age that's not an age. So, in other words, a toddler, two, three-year-old, passes, goes into the kingdom. Does that poor little kid crawling on the floor for all of eternity can't communicate, can't speak, can't, you know? No. that, That soul ends up in some sort of age where it can interact with God and others. Think about this. The elderly man who has dementia and he needs a, a cane when he goes and he passes he 's a believer is he, does he need a hearing aid and glasses and a cane he doesn 't need any of that stuff and he doesn 't have dementia because all those things get sloughed off right That would be you know strange for us to need anything when they're in, when they 're in the kingdom i 'm going to read a scripture to you that really kind of solidifies this is revelation twenty one one through four, there's a lot. There's a lot here. Um, a little repetitive, based on what I said before. But it's, the Apostle John says, "Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth." I have some uh, ideas about the new earth too, based on how many people got saved over the course of human history. It might be bigger, but it's not going to have tectonic plates, tectonic activities, earthquakes. You know, bad weather. You, things that kill people hurricanes turn, none of that stuff's going to exist anymore so this one is is unfortunately marred by sin but god remakes everything and it's in this pristine state again so he says i saw a new heaven and a new earth remember this is there's three levels of heaven leave the third one to the side because that's where god's abode is that doesn't have to be remade it's never been uh, defiled but the first two have been and we're existing in that For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay, that's important. I forgot to mention that. In the afterlife are three things. God's throne room, right? Because we won't have sin, I believe we'll be able to... We're going to be close to him. And I don't think it has to be a touching thing. It's just, it's going to be different. I don't want to fall into the trap of the Sadducees. There's going to be a new earth. There's also going to be a new Jerusalem. This city is a cube. It's pretty wild if you do the measurements in Revelation. Each side of that cube is the distance from New York to Florida. That's a big city. <laughs> and it goes up and it goes in three different dimensions. Um, what's it going to be like there? You get a little bit of a glimpse of it in Revelation. If you're interested, I did the Revelation study. It definitely have to pray before you read it. There's a lot of information in there. And I heard a loud voice, verse 3, from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle or the home of God is with people, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This part is key. I read this at funerals. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Do you ever have somebody wipe a tear from your eye? Somebody close to you, hug you, put their hand on your your cheeks and dry your eyes? That is such an intimate, loving, close action. Why does God say that? Because He's going to be that close. That is wild. And you can take that to the bank. So, tears are gone. Cancer's gone. Death is gone. Depression's gone. Being... PTSD is gone. All that stuff's gone. And no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying for the former things have passed away. If there's anything that should really jazz you up this morning, it's that scripture. But it gets better. (laughs) 1 Corinthians, let's go to that, where the Apostle Paul talks about the new bodies where there were some detractors who said, that doesn't make sense. What's this resurrection body stuff? And he puts it very neatly. (sighs) This is good stuff. I get so excited. Okay, so Apostle Paul says, But some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He pleases and to each seed its own body. So He uses an agrarian example. In John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus says something similar earlier on. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So Jesus was using a a literal example to make a spiritual truth. Paul was explaining to us how the bodies change. I have actually, I have various seeds. I keep my stuff in my garage, keep it dry, keep it dark. And I can look in there a year later and it's still seed. It's not until I actually take that seed or that grain and I put it into the ground and there's moisture and it germinates that it becomes alive. It has to die first. Isn't that interesting? And it doesn't become a seed tree. It becomes whatever genus or you know God has made embedded in that that DNA, right? And it starts to to grow. And you you like if you don't know what the bag is. Sometimes I have this too. I got these. I don't throw anything away. I got these bags all over the place and seed and grain. I don't know what I'm doing, but every once in a while I'll plant it and like hey I'll just sit back and see what that is, and I'm surprised and I'm happy. Well, it's beautiful, but. Like the seed, the seed or the the husk has to break down. It has to. That actually thing has to die before that new shoot can come up, and that could bear its own fruit, and then have some seeds in it on the inside. So, Apostle Paul's saying the same thing, and so is Jesus. These bodies are not going to make it through eternity. Once you hit fifty, trust me. After your fifties. You're sitting, you know, you'll be like, oh yeah, I know what Pastor Joe was talking So you young people, oh, it's coming. It's coming. You know what I'm saying? We think, oh man, at 25, I thought I was invincible. Oh my goodness, times have changed. Alright, enough of that. Um, but again, if you have body image issues, you're not going to have them anymore. That's pretty cool, isn't it? G, God affirmed, right? We, we, as we read the Scripture, He brings up, Uh, Moses in Exodus 3 and his exchange with God, right? And he says, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says that to Moses. Moses affirms it. Um, But how could that be? Because by the time of Moses, these guys were dead a long time. A long time. So how could God speak about them as if they were alive? They were. But their bones are over there. That's not them. They're with me, you know what I'm saying? It's sort of a, a, a paraphrase there. Um, it's a perspective issue. You know, my wife and I, there's a, an old church that's uh, very close to our house and beautiful grounds and they have walkways and stuff. And sometimes we'll look at, we'll go through the cemetery and see these old, they're barely readable. I mean, from 100, 150, this is an old cemetery. And, you know, in, in the ground are some minerals, some bones, but the flesh is gone because it decayed. Where are those people? They're somewhere, but they're not in the ground anymore. What's really made them who they are and their uniqueness is not there. Is there life after death? You bet there is. Um, this is just the vehicle to negotiate the environment of this realm. And I'm going to tell you this American culture, sadly, focus too much on the vehicle than what's inside. We're so obsessed in our culture with what people look like. You know what, sometimes I get up, I'm in a hurry on a Sunday morning, and my pants are wrinkled. But that shouldn't be a problem to you. You know, what my hair looks like, my pants, if my clo- My wife makes sure my clothes match. So that's, that's usually taken care of, you know, she's good with that stuff. Uh, but my appearance should mean zero this morning. It should be what my words are, because. They're not my words, they're God's word. And you know what, this is something we have to impress upon young people. We have to reaffirm them, we have to encourage them because they go out into the world and they get depressed because it's all about what they look like and who looks better and photoshopping and whatever. Uh, It's sad, it's sad. What's really important is what's on the inside. I'd rather hang out with one person who's really deep on the inside than ten beautiful people. That are shallow. That's just me. H, the resurrection age is eternal. It's eternal. And again, there's no such thing as, you know, people have these ideas and their philosophies, annihilationism. The Apostle Paul dealt with this. Jesus dealt with this. Peter dealt with this. Uh, We deal with it today. And who comes up with these things? And some of these philosophies morph into other philosophies. We're dealing with some philosophies in American culture. And we're hoping to give people the message of hope with what the Bible says. You're not going to get it from a politician. You're not going to get it from a billionaire. You're not going to get it from globalism. Right? The real hope, what I just read to you, comes from the Word. The Word is eternal. Amen? So, sadly, there are some uh, believers who live like this life is all there is. And they really need to pray about their lifestyles because... Um, It's all about them. And God has something for all of us to do, albeit it might be small. Collectively, aggregately, it's impressive. And God wants to use us, right? And I, the last part um, is that we get a glimpse of the angelic realm. This is important. It doesn't, and sometimes people misread this, and, and I hear this at funerals, and people are, they're grieving and I get it so I don't I don't go around correcting people but we don't get our wings when we die right the angels are a different order of creation okay we are unique we don't become angels we are still who we are but we become perfected when Jesus rose from the dead there were some things that they that there were some things about Jesus it's The post-resurrection, the way the disciples looked at Jesus is very interesting. Uh, Especially the ones who were there, their last image of him was probably horrific. Now Jesus is, you know, he's in the post-resurrected form, which is pretty impressive. So, you know, Jesus was also given a human body. God the Son took the form of a man to, to negotiate this world. And there's legal ramifications. He had to come in the line of Adam to undo the sin of Adam there's so much to it. It's actually very deep. But we get a glimpse of the angelic realm. We, there's an equivalency or a likeness, but it's not a carbon copy, right? It's not exact. Actually, the Greek word, as I looked it up, is isangalos. Angalos is angel. Isangalos from the prefix isos means to be, to seem like, right? Context, semantic range to seem like the angels, to be similar to the angels, to be like the angels. Again, not a carbon copy, okay? And then maybe Jay is, I said this about three times, there's no uh, annihilationism. Even in the old, I have so many Jewish friends and they're like, you know, you Christians, it's it's fun banter. And I always say, bro, give, give me your Bible. You guys said it first, you know what I'm saying? I'll go to the Old Testament. It's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, you got to read this thing, man. Uh, but Daniel 12 in the Old Testament, everybody will sleep in the dust of the earth and everybody will be, come out, uh, be resurrected to either everlasting life or everlasting contempt. It's right there in the Old Testament. And that's one of many scriptures three brings me to my third point. point three out of three is the most important part of the discussion is the way to eternal life and some people say and i get it listen i i'm very patient because when as a new believer i didn't know anything i went i went through a religion that they didn't really barely open the bible they didn't encourage me to read the bible so born again i was starting as a, a baby again trying to understand spiritual things uh, so, it's, it's a little bit of a learning curve there. But people will say, well, this doesn't make sense. So, some guy, and I'll give you that he's fully God and fully man, he dies on the cross, and somehow that affects me positively 2,000 years ago. Here's the answer Leviticus 17, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. Especially Leviticus 17, God said specifically, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. It goes all the way back to the old covenant. Jesus came to fulfill the old covenant. When the temple was destroyed in A.D. seventy, there was no shedding of blood. What are we going to do? Look back to Jesus, right? As the perfect sacrifice, he shed his blood for the remission of sins. This goes all the way back to the first five books of Moses. So even if you're a modern-day Sadducee, it's right there for you, right? It's deep. The whole thing is is pretty heavy stuff. And again, it takes a little bit to get your head around it. Let me read a few more verses. I'm not going to actually go into them for the sake of time. We're going to save this for next Sunday. But continuing on the same discussion in the same vein where we were with the Sadducees. In verse 39, it says, Christ questions the scribes. And this is important that I get this in. Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well, but... After that, they dared not question him anymore, you think? And he said to them, how can they say (laughs) that the Christ is the son of David? Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? So we're going to go into this in depth, but... David, by the Holy Spirit, is speaking about his progeny, great, 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 grandson, who doesn't exist yet. And by the Holy Spirit, David is calling him Adonai. First of all, if your kids were alive in that society, even if you were, you know, just kind of loose with the culture and the word, you would never say to your child, Lord, Doesn't make any sense in that culture. And he wasn't even born yet. So, what we're finding through the scripture is that David had sons, and they had sons, and they had sons. And eventually, we get to Jesus, who David, in his living life, never met. But by the Holy Spirit, he calls Jesus Lord. Jesus is trying to open their eyes to the messianic prophecies, and there are dozens of them that speak that when the Messiah comes, he will be God. Period. So we're going to cover that next time. And basically, um, let me go back to the question. Is there a life after death? The answer is yes. You could read some of these books and like the Sadducees, they make no sense. Because there's no biblical reference point. A lot of it's fantasy. A lot of it doesn't stack up. Okay? But we get to hear what it's like in our forever home from somebody who came from that forever home. And again, no other religious leader ever cl- ca- claimed to come to the earth. They came from heaven and let me tell you what it's like. They didn't. And if you know somebody, let me know. I'd love to do research. I've done a lot of research on uh, false messiahs throughout the, throughout the ages. But if they did, they never proved it with supernatural works. So here is your chance to lay hold of that promise. After every sermon, we give an opportunity for somebody to come up and receive Jesus. Because if you're in Christ, it's a good thing. That forever home is waiting for you. You know, while you have breath in your lungs, while you have a functioning mind, your will, your intellect, your emotion, choose Him. He's chosen you when He died for your sins. But a relationship has to work in two directions.